Hey, Rockheads, it's that time of year again to come up with a good excuse to join me and Richard at NDC London. Fortunately, all you have to do is tell your boss the truth. You want to learn about the latest technology and hobnob with the likes of Scott Hanselman, Lily Dart, Eric Meyer, Scott Allen, John Skeet, Jesse Sternschuss, Troy Hunt, Damian Edwards, and many more. NDC London 2016 is a full-week event with pre-conference workshops on January 11th and 12th and the actual conference on January 13th through the 15th. So go to ndc-london.com right now, and we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1223, with guest Tom Kirkova. Recorded Thursday, November 12th, 2015. And it's .NET Rocks. We're back. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here again. We're going to be talking with Tom Kirkova about data lakes pretty soon. This is going to be a good show. I'm very excited about it. And uh, we're just coming back off of the Azure World Tour as you hear this. Right. We're the between weeks. Last week in Sweden and next week in Israel and France. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I fun wonder how there. we did. I wonder how we did, too, because we haven't actually done it yet. We're just, you know, this is the time-shifting thing. little time-shifting thing going on. But I know we're going to be picking up shows while we're there, too. So who knows what's going to happen to our schedule? Who knows? And who knows how the people will react? And speaking of react, roll the music. Uh-oh. What do you got, buddy? React Native. What? This is something that you're probably going to hear a lot about. Tinyurl.com slash React Native, a framework for building native apps using React. That's really interesting. React Native enables you to build world-class application experiences on native platforms using a consistent developer experience based on JavaScript and React. Okay. The focus of React Native is on developer efficiency across all the platforms you care about. Learn once, write anywhere. Facebook uses React Native in multiple production apps and will continue investing in React Native. Interesting. Facebook is behind it. Yeah, well, Facebook's been behind React all along. So, yep. yeah, very interesting way to architect. And some people really, React's one of those things that creates strong opinions one yep. way or the other. I imagine we'll be doing a show on it. I imagine we will. Yep. All right, good one, bud. There you go. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1085, the one we did with Dave and Simons. We were talking about all these different kinds of databases, right? Document stores and graph databases, as well as RDBMSs and so forth. Just getting our heads around the diversity of data storage options that are out there, which I think relates pretty strongly to what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. And Brad Collins said, uh, Richard sounded a bit surprised at David's pick of Postgres SQL. And uh, I don't know if I was surprised. Maybe I was just like, hey, glad you brought that up, because I used to do a bunch of development with Postgres back in the day. Mm -hmm. It was a, a great platform. We happened to use it in our product for the government. And if government. I say any more, I'll have to hunt you all down and kill you. So government. don't say any more. Government. Well, that's a good word, government. Government. <laughs> it also seems to be enjoying some popularity in the Ruby community these days, partially because of some interesting column data types of support, such as JSON and arrays. Mm. And this is something I've known about Postgres for a long time. One of the side effects of being an open source data store is if people get ideas, they'll just add things. And so, the, you know, it's a little less opinionated in some respects. Mm -hmm. And they were really big on things like passing tables and other complex constructs. So while Postgres is technically a SQL relational database, the fact that I can take a whole JSON blob, I mean, essentially an object blob and store it, means you could also treat it like a document database at the same time. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, an, it's cool to think about Postgres and just how it's dealing with the transformation around it of different ways that people want to store stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Brad, thanks so much for your comment. A.NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a.NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social medias because we post every show on Facebook and Google+. If you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can tweet us. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. We love to read your tweets. Sometimes we even retweet them. Yep. <laughs> we even answer them. <laughs> And uh, that brings us to our guest. Tom Kirkova is an integration professional and IoT competency lead at Codeit, 
He's also a Connect for Windows MVP, as am I, an Azure Insider and part of the Belgian Azure User Group. As IoT Competency Lead, Tom is in charge of leveraging the best IoT solution for customers running on Azure, going from D2C and C2D connectivity to data storage to deep learning. Last but not least, he's also interested in building secure solutions in Azure with tools like Azure Key Vault. He dares to think that everything in Azure is awesome. Welcome, Tom. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And uh, and thanks for being a, a such a great MVP. You've come out with lots of good stuff, and I've enjoyed watching your posts on uh, in the Connect for Windows MVP uh, alias and all that stuff. It's been a fun ride, hasn't it? Yeah, it was a ton of fun. Interesting tech. And you're turning your uh, attention toward Azure a lot these days, obviously. The, yeah. The data lakes uh, are something that we, you know, learned about at Build, uh, Richard and I, and I'm talking about them a bit. And it seems like it's a good fit for IoT. Although some, there's a little voice inside of me lately that says, you know, when there's just tons and tons and tons and tons of data, that sort of separating out these little subsets, you know, more maybe a graph database might be a, a better solution because you're only touching the branches and querying the branches that you need to worry about at any one given time. And and I know it's not, you know, it, it's the Azure way to say, don't worry, we'll take care of it, you know? Just throw everything in here and everything will work. But how does it work, actually, if if everything goes into a data lake and I want to just look at a small slice of that, maybe by geography or something like that, um, how do I, how efficient can that possibly be? Well, it depends on what do you want to learn. Do you want to do exploratory analysis? Then data lake is your option. Do you want to do uh, relational analysis, you can go with the GraphDB or you can still use a data lake. But recently, uh, Microsoft has announced more on Azure Data Lake because what they announced at Build was just a subset of Azure Data Lake. They've rebrand, rebranded it to Azure Data Lake, which is now a umbrella for two additional services. So in the past, we had HD Insight. Mm-hmm. That allowed you to spin up complete uh, big data clusters running Hadoop, HBase, Hive, Storm, mm-hmm. Spark. But now we have Data Lake Store and Data Lake Analytics. So with Data Lake Store, you have the typical uh, Data Lake principle where you just push in your data, push in the raw format, and they will handle it. No Whether schema. No, if it's structured, unstructured, semi-structured, just push it in. They will handle it with no size limits. Well, and I think that's the whole point of a data lake, right? It's just take data as it is and store it. Don't mess with it. Yeah, that's correct. And I understand if you're trying to do some aggregation and say, you know, of, look at all of this data and come up and compute some result. But again, you know, when I'm, what my scenario is, is let's say you have these sensors out there geographically located as it happens and maybe you're only interested in the stuff that's happening within a state or within a town or within a site you know and so you don't want to be you want anything churning through billions of records or you know however they're stored billions of nodes or whatever um, just to figure out what's going on in one building for example well i think the key in that would be how are you storing it in the data lake Typically, you will be sending to uh, event hubs or uh, IoT hub, and then you can aggregate, uh, analyze that data at real time with stream analytics. And as a result, you can dump it in the data lake where you can add some metadata. For example, it's from this customer included in the data sets to what the sensor sent to you. And then in the data lake, you can run some jobs on it and do some decisions based on uh, data in your file or in the file structure. So wait a minute. I mean, maybe the disconnect in my mind is when you said the way you store it in the data lake, I thought the whole idea of a data lake was just, just chuck it in there and we'll take care of it. What, what more needs to be configured? 
That's correct. But you still have the concept of folders and files. So what right. you can do is you can dump all the data from customer X in the customer X folder. And for customer Y, you put it in the customer Y folder. Oh, I see. You give, you give each sensor a specific file name, and then you can loop on each folder for that specific customer or ah. aggregate all the data from all the customers and do some deep learning on it. And when, and I guess that's the way it's indexed or something in, inside. And I don't know yeah. the internals of a data lake, but, and that's what, what I guess I'm trying to figure out. Like, uh, if I just look at a particular file folder, like let's say I have a higher, I, so it's a hierarchical folder then. Folder yeah, structure. that's correct. You can, so if it's hierarchical, I can, you know, find my key all the way down to the building that I'm interested in. And when I look at data on that building, I'm just looking at data that's there forward, right? I'm not, I don't have to. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. It's a data lake, but you can still put some structure in it. Yep. Well, that really answers my question because, you know, I, I, I don't like magic answers. Just, you know, just throw it all in there and everything's fine. Like, <laughs> I, I kind of like to know what's going on under the hood. Yeah, yeah. but the, the danger with the data lake is you get, you have no longer track of what data is where if you lose control. And that's where uh, Azure Data Catalog can come in as a metadata on top of your store so you don't lose control. Okay. Which, I mean, makes a lot of sense to me. It's just a, the implication then is if I don't follow this hierarchical structure with the next set of data I load, it's going to be hard to find things? Yeah. Then your data lake will be a data swamp. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Didn't take long. Ten market in the record. Within 12 minutes, <laughs> we have we our first data swamp reference. But, I mean, one of the arguments... The alternative to a data lake, as I understand it, is a data warehouse, which I've spent yep. a lot of time with. This idea that we have this whole extract, transform, load process to carefully organize all the incoming data into the sort of symmetrical structures so they query faster and so they're sort of reliable and accurate. I mean, but in a data lake, you don't want to do that. You just want to put all oh. the data into its raw form and, and do it post facto. Yeah, that's right. Because when you're going for a, a data warehouse, it means you define a schema uh, up front, which means you need to transform your data to that schema, and that can result in data loss because you're not interested in that at the moment. Right. But in five years, you might. Right. And then you're losing important data for exploratory analysis. And actually, Martin Fowler wrote a nice comparison on this, on data lakes versus data warehouses yeah and i i pulled up the article and uh exactly that idea you're still going to do etl but you're going to do it as you need it right this, yeah. that that it's just and i, I think the, and the way i've heard it is described it, it because we're living in the cloud world you know one of the reasons you organize all your data in data warehouse is to use your resources efficiently but now that you have the cloud you just you can use as much as you want. Just go for it, right? Just harness more machines to do your map reduce at the time you need to do it. You don't have to organize in advance. That's right. Just dump it in. Hmm. And one of the nice features is that they've built it completely for the enterprise. So you can set ACLs on the file level, on the folder level, and all this based on Azure AD integration. So you don't need to manage users separately. You can just reuse that. And if you are in a, in a need for encryption at rest, they will provide it later on and you will be able to reuse Azure Key Vault to do encryption. So if your customer says, okay, you can store it in the, in the dat data lake store, but we need encryption because we're a medical institution or whoever wants it, they can do it. Yeah, I like that. And again, I think maybe this is the most important idea here is take in the data as it was created in the form it was created. So you don't lose anything. Even if you don't know what you're going to do with it, you, and it may be sensitive, encrypt it and have it there just in case you need it. Yeah. Also, if you're charging by the byte for storage, this is a great strategy. Yep, that's correct. But if you compare it with uh, Azure Blob Storage, 
it will be more expensive because it's a more enterprise grade data store. Right. It's performed for analytics and it's highly optimized for analytics, uh, data lake analytics, sorry, which we'll d- discuss later on. Well, that's, that was my next question is, you know, obviously you can throw anything in there, but what do you not want to put in a data lake? And it sounds like big files are top of the list. Well, Actually, you can put everything in it. The question is, do I just want uh, to store images for my website? Then yeah. blob storage would be the typical scenario. Yeah. Or do you want to store important data that you want to analyze yeah. today or later on? You just use data lake store. But if you stored it on blob storage and you want to move it to uh, data lake store, you can migrate all the data with Azure Data Factory. Yeah, so just because you can doesn't mean you should. So Why uh, store two copies? Yeah, why have two copies? Exactly. Indeed. Just put the stuff that you need to analyze in there and then refer back to your external resources yeah. from it. Yeah. But it also depends on, on what files are you, are you storing. Are, are these really big files? Because Azure Blob Storage has these limits of uh, total size per account and per blob. While Data Lake Store doesn't have any limit, not on file size, not on wow. accounts, not on anything. And it's what's the limit on the blob side? Uh, I don't know it on the top of my head, but but we're if you're talking about petabytes, exabytes, terabytes, I think Data Lake Store would be the best place. It's also optimized for read, so if you're reading it with 1000 uh, processes at, at a time. For example, when you're using analytics, the service will scale for you and support parallel reads on one file. Hmm. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's really what you want, right? I, I keep thinking Hadoop style map reduce, but in, in that scenario, you have to do the distribution yourself. Does this just happen automatically? Yeah. I just did a quick lookup for uh, blob storage limits. It is capped at 500 terabytes per single blob container. Good Lord. <laughs> if you need more than that, what are I, you doing? You know what, though? You may. You may, <laughs> you be, might. You may be producing video around the clock, which well, is going to yeah. fill that up. That's really interesting. You know, it's not that easy to look at. That's just the default limit. Apparently, you can request exceptions. Hmm. But 500 terabytes per storage account. And that could be a single blob container if you want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty big, but I guess when you get up to the serious stuff and it, you know, in some ways the data lakes have no cap is kind of more frightening. Yeah. So how much is no cap? Really no cap. I, I think I, it's, I, it's, it depends on your scenario. If you know that Azure data lake store and analytics are, are, uh, Based on the learnings of Microsoft's Cosmos, then you know they really need the infinite storage because they're way above the exabytes. So, and what is the Microsoft Cosmos for those who haven't encountered it? So, Microsoft Cosmos is the internal big data service of Microsoft where all their internal customers, such as Bing, Xbox Live, Skype, and others, are submitting hundreds of thousands of jobs a day analyzing exabytes of data. So the power of Bingo and Cortana is basically based on Cosmos. Wow. So this was originally a Microsoft research project that sort of, they're now turning into a product in the form of... Yeah, they are using it for six or seven years already. So it's already production proven. But keep in mind that Data Lake has been built from the ground up Based on open standards, that's important because you can use Data Lake Store for their Data Lake analytic service, but you can also use it with existing open source technologies such as Hive, Storm, whatever. I uh, I just found an, a, a slide deck from Pat Helland from July 2011 talking about Cosmos. Oh, boy. And at the time, that's four years ago, they had 62 petabytes physically stored. <laughs> and they were using Dryad. Remember Dryad? We did a show on it a million years ago. Yep, I yep. remember. Which was which was Microsoft's internal MapReduce technology. Yeah. 
to do analysis on it. That's four years ago. Yeah. Man, how big is it now? <laughs> this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Our dev-centric friends at Stackify have been awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating the depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshined the other products in this category. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers, which is why PC Magazine's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. Hey, uh, can I take a minute to rant about Amazon and something I can't stand? Just bear with me here. I love Azure. You love Azure, Tom? Yeah, I do. I love Azure. Here's one of the reasons. Uh, you know, as people may know, when we needed to move our, all our files to the cloud for .NET Rocks, Amazon was the only game in town. Azure wasn't even around then. And so we moved all of the storage of MP3 files to AWS S3, S3 storage. Now, everything's fine at the command line, like most cloud tools are. But, you know, sometimes you want to just pull up a web browser and get to a bucket and look to see if a file is there or something like that, right? So you go, you log into the management console, go to S3, you find your bucket, DNR is our bucket for .NET Rocks, and now you have a list of files in the browser. And, you know, there are headers, name, date, size, blah, blah, blah. And it starts with the first show. Now, we have 1,200 shows, some odd shows, right? And so what yeah. do you do? You want to sort, sort by name descending. So you click name, nothing happens. <laughs> you know why? There's no sort. So if I want to find out the latest show, I got to scroll down. And it doesn't just scroll to the end. No, no, no. It only scrolls down 20 or so, and then it loads the next 20, and then it loads the next 20. It's going to take me 10 minutes to find out if a particular show is there and what it's named. Yeah. Don't like Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Enough does. to move it? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't have to do that all that often, of course, you know, because we've written code now to handle all this stuff, and we've got command line tools, as I said. But everyone, you know, when, when I was first starting, you know, I wanted to see if a file uploaded or something. It'd be just nice to go and sort, you know, like you can do all of that stuff in the Azure portal. I just don't get it. Don't they have client tools for that? Uh, you know, they may, they may, uh, but most of them are command line tools. You know, oh, and that's boy. what I think most people are comfortable using. We build our own client tools, right? That's what I did. That's maybe the best option then. Well, and it's sort of the Amazon way too, right? The, the website should work. And especially in 2015, the website should work. Just <laughs> saying. All right. So analytics, what can we do with data lakes in analytics and well, how, how easily? Now that we have our data in the data lake, we should analyze it. So we have all these open source technologies where we need to spin up tons of VMs and form clusters with Java and technologies like Hive and whatsoever. But I caught it with a, a .NET shop and we, we were really, we were really scared because we don't want to manage clusters. We just want to write some scripts, run it on the data and get some results. We just want to reuse our existing skills. And that's exactly what data lake analytics allows us with a new language called USQL. We can now write scripts with a SQL syntax with the possibility mm. of C-sharp extensibility, and we just submit that script. The service will run it for us. We assign how many nodes we want, and it will just output the data for us. No worries about clustering and monitoring of clustering whatsoever. Just type, submit, conquer. Hmm. And you wow. recognize this language? I mean, I went looking for some U-SQL scripts, and they look more like Link than SQL. Well, 
Um, I've been testing it for a while and actually it's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. It's really T-SQL-ish. If you want, you can put some inline C-sharp. If you want, you can call your existing libraries or other libraries like Newton Soft, and it will all work. They will compile the scripts, create the complete graph of what steps does the job need to do, and just run it. Wow. One of the nice features is, um, just as Carl uh, asked, how can I structure my data per mm. customer per location? Mm-hmm. So we have all these folders, but what if you want to run a script on all of these folders? You don't want to point to all these folders statically. It has this nice feature of patterns where you can define a URI, say here in this wildcard, assign it to this uh, output column, and y- he will interpret all the folders with all the files in it, and you can see from which folder it comes. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, I mean, I again, I'm pulling out my Hadoop experiences. So that whole part of distributing across multiple instances, lighting up the cluster and so forth that you have to do in Hadoop to run this fast, you just don't deal with that? Just send the expression and it'll do the rest? Yeah. I just. How do you make it go faster? Uh, I just type my script, say, for example, first time run it on one node, then one it, once it ran, it gives you a nice overview of here are the bottlenecks. This is how long it took. And you have this nice tooling that tells you, hey, the best amount of notes is this. Hmm. And it base it bases on the time it's it takes, the amount of notes it uses. Because if you reserve one thousand notes and you only use five of them, you're still paying for those thousand notes, which is very scary. Yeah. Um <laughs> But I like that. So then you, it's only, it only lights up the thousand nodes for the duration of your query, gets back your results and then shuts them all down. Well, hmm. actually it reserves them. It only uses what it needs. Okay. So because you're reserving them, you need to pay for it. Right. But I like this idea that you don't light them up per se. It's part of your execution path. Yeah, exactly. And okay. I don't need to think about clusters and how do I write scripts that are scalable and whatsoever i just say grab these files uh, uh group them and output them in another file just like that so if you're using the the product that is the azure iot suite are they going to just steer you to a data lake or is as a guidance goes or is there going to be are there other options there that you can choose well it it depends uh Currently, when you want to drop your files on uh, Data Lake, you can do it straight from Stream Analytics yet. They've announced it, but it's not there yet. So mm-hmm. you have some other options. You can do it by code or move it with Data Factory from Blob Storage, but directly from uh, IoT Suite is not an option at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it may be that they include it later on. Um, but you can also run your scripts on a different data store than uh, Data Lake Store. You can also read and write to Azure Blob Storage. Right. You sure. can read from SQL Database, SQL Warehouse, or your uh, SQL Server in a VM in Azure. So. Are you with you me, have, though, that relational databases are not a good place to put IoT data? <laughs> no, but it again, it depends on the scenario, uh, but you can still read from a, a, a SQL sure. database for reference data, for, for example. For reference data, yeah, exactly. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to release my new data lake backup testing tool. It's called oh. Piranha NATO. <laughs> Need I say more? No, you really don't. <laughs> Piranha NATO. Oh, no. Here comes Piranha NATO. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. 
But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero and don't forget to thank them for supporting dotnet rocks awesome dude who's our winner today's winner richard is eric g harrison congratulations eric yes golf clap for you sir golf clap for eric he just won the d experience subscription a big pile of awesome from dev express and if you don't know what we just did here go to dotnet rocks.com click on the big get free stuff button answer a few questions and join the dotnet rocks fan club we have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, like, coming right up here. Anytime now. Any old time now. Uh, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. It's kind of too late for this year, but just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can always win some great swag. Uh, and we also like to ask our guests, Tom, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Uh, time? Is that an option? Ah, nice. Ah, Azure time? <laughs> or just well, time? Exactly, exactly, Azure time would be nice because some of my friends are hosting another edition of the global Azure bootcamp next year uh -huh. on the 2nd of April. And uh, every year you can run some compute for a charity lab. Nice. Yeah, nice. So, uh, two years ago, we ran uh, compute for diabetes research. Oh, great. Last year for breast cancer research. And this year, yeah, it's not known yet, but I'm sure that they will come up with a nice research project again. So if you're into Azure, Go to global.azurebootcamp.net and join me and others. Okay. Adding notes to the show notes. Absolutely. That is such a cool thing. You mentioned um, Martin Fowler wrote a, um, I guess it's a, a an essay or a, a white paper on data lakes. Yes. What's the, what's the essence of what he said? Well, I think the essence was that you need to be uh, aware of the consequences of what type of data store you pick. Yeah. You can go for a structured data warehouse where you know the schema. Everything is pretty clear what is what, mm -hmm. but you're limited to the schema you define. If you want more freedom, you can go for the data lake where you have all this data with no schema, all the Types of data, structured, mm -hmm. unstructured, semi-structured, but you have the the danger of losing uh, losing track of what data is what and to whom it belongs. Okay, yeah, I mean, this kind of guidance is exactly what we're looking for now. I mean, there's so many options, and uh, how do you match up what your customers' needs are with you know with all of these things? There's lots of questions. Exactly. Glad to see that a guy like Martin Fowler is thinking about it. Well, and he seems to emphasize this idea of the big thing about a data lake is it's this schema-less structure. Yeah, that's correct. But still a little hierarchy to keep things orderly, at least in terms of import sources, I presume. And because of that hierarchy, would you call it a graph database? The data lake store or the data warehouse? The data lake store. Not really, because in a graph database, you have these these implicit relationships, while in a data lake store, you are depending on the structure of the folders. But isn't the structure of folders a graph? I mean, isn't that what a graph is? If you're doing it correct, it might be, but... It, it's a bit of a stretch. I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. It's hard. It's a pretty, and we're just talking about, you just want an orderly place to put data in 
just so you know where it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just you, you, you have a file system on your machine, and just because it's hierarchical doesn't mean it's organized, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I got lots of file systems like that. Yeah, suddenly the answer came to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I no, see. Oh, yeah, that drive. Yeah. So we don't want everybody writing uSQL to actually access the data lake. What does the retail front of the data lake store look like for your regular user? Well, you have different options, but to really analyze the data in the data lake, you can only use analytics for now. Right. But you can still use the store as the store if you want a segment of the data. You can move it out to data lake store and put it somewhere else. So stick For it example, in front of the data lake. Well, you can move it to another data store like Blob Storage, SQL right. for a while. If you no longer need it, yeah, just remove it or clean up the data lake or it, it depends. But data factory is something that really comes into play for this. You just. Or, or a PowerShell, just write a script, move all my data mm. to blob storage, for example, and you're done. Or yeah. create a data pipeline. So let's talk about Data Factory a bit more, because I, I don't know if we've really spent any time on this. Uh, what is this? Well, data, data Factory is another Azure service that allows you to create data pipelines. For example, you can cre create a pipeline that will uh, every day go to data source X, for example, uh, blob storage, move all that data to data lake store and trigger a USQL script that will analyze your data. But you're not tied to data lake store and analytics. You can move just your data from blob to SQL database or do other analytics stuff like hive scripts and, and just create automated, uh, data pipelines for the more larger data. So we use the data factory services to do your sort of core ingestion, bring in the data from different sources and load the lake with it, as well as on the front side to, to generate sets for, for different clients. Yeah, you can use data factory for that. You can move it around, trigger some analytic stuff, uh, ingests to the store, move it to another store, and I, so I got to think that the analytics side, I guess it depends on what you mean when you say analytics. Like whenever I hear analytics, I think a data scientist or a specialist of some kind looking for new information in the data, as opposed to the regular user who kind of wants to take those analytics and act on them. Well, because USQL is so, so easy for us developers, developers can also use analytics, but of course, Data scientists uh, will also love this service, but data scientists sometimes have experience with open source technologies already. Right. So they will typically stay with the clusters unless they will want to use a, a job-based service and they can write USQL with SQL syntax because USQL is somewhat different from Teams T-SQL. But it's yes. also pretty similar with Hive. Mm. While Hive is more uh, with Java and stuff. Yeah, Hive is a part of the Hadoop suite. Nope. Yeah, exactly. USQL is more the Microsoft C-sharp T-SQL version. Because USQL is, is, the U stands for unified. It unifies the scope language, which which is the uh, internal language of Microsoft used for Cosmos. Right. It unifies T-SQL and Hive into one language. It makes me wonder where R has gone in all of this, because that seems yeah. to me that Microsoft bought R, R short for Revolution Analytics, yeah. oh, back in like January. You'd think this would be exactly where R should land. Well, don't they use R in, in the, on the ML side? Yes. And R is also integrated now in the new SQL Server version. Mm. And Microsoft also said, USQL is the beginning, but we might support other languages such mm. as Hive or maybe uh. R later on. Mm. So the, right. the Hive people can use the job-based service as well. Just pay for what 
what of the job time you use and how many units you use. What does the uh, s- the Visual Studio support look like right now? Um, well, actually, they come with great tooling. Uh, for example, you have the Store Explorer, which allows you to uh, browse to your data lake store, download files, download preview of files, export to CSV or Excel. Hmm. But the most important one is you have this job visualizer and support for um, data lake analytics solutions, which allows you to add them to your source control, run some automated builds on the extensibility, because that's just plain C-sharp. And you can just monitor and debug your jobs you have submitted. For example, when I, I've written a SQL script, I will submit it, and the runtime will compile it into a physical plan, which is a nice graph of several blocks that the service will execute. And you have this option to include heat maps to see where where in the plan did my job really take long? What's mm. the bottleneck? Where can I optimize? And you have this profiler, um, which allows you to play back the complete job. So if I have a job of two to the eight hours, for example, I can play back the complete job in 30 seconds, see mm. the evolution of the job and determine bottlenecks. Wow. Nice. Yeah, it it really helps you to see where can I optimize what's wrong and how many files did I process, what files are they, where I, are they stored. Because if you're using these patterns, you can include these wildcards and say, hey, all these files starting with... Let me use a, a, a more applicable scenario. So uh, Stack Exchange is open source on the internet. You can download all their data in in separate files per website. So I have folders with the names like Stack Exchange and Programmers. And in these folders, I have, uh, I think, six six or seven files with all the data in from that website, going from the users, posts, comments, etc. So I've written a job that will loop over all these folders I think they're about 280 folders and I've outputted the name of the folder to my result set. If you're debugging this and one folder is taking a lot of time, you want to know what that folder is. And with this tooling, you can see where that file is and what's wrong with it. Why is it failing, for example? Mm. Okay. Very cool. And do you think that the the Visual Studio tooling will continue? I mean, uh, when does this uh, when does it go public? Well, uh, everything from Azure Data Lake is now in public preview, and mm-hmm. if you go to the portal right now, you can opt in for the public preview, and it's all available at your fingertips. And w- when is it going to be released? I guess. Any any idea? Do you mean general availability? Yep. Um, there's nothing announced on that yet. Okay. And by that token, it means we have no pricing at this point either. Yeah. Because it's all free uh, right now. Yeah, we have some pricing at 50%. Oh, yeah? So for each gigabyte you store in the data lake store, you pay, I think, three dot three dimes. Um, for each one million transactions where one transaction is 128 kilobytes, you pay six dimes. So 60 cents. And for the analytics jobs, it's really depending on how many nodes you want and how long the job takes. Uh, you pay 1.5 dimes per node per minute. And for each completed job, you pay two dimes. But okay. keep in mind, this is with the preview discount of 50% off. Nice. Right. So if you compare the data lake store with blob storage, um, just for storing your data will be in the store will be more expensive than, uh, Azure blob storage GRS. 
So the most expensive one. So if you use data lakes correctly and appropriately, you know, for what data lakes are good for, do you see any downside? Do you see any dark side or, or, you know, the things that we're not thinking of or not talking about of using data lakes? Losing control is one thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, Always a risk. Yeah. I think that is the biggest risk. Yeah, this is really easy to turn into a dumping ground and basically be useless for it. Yeah, right. exactly. And, and what's the relationship between the data lake and HD Insight? Um, before you had the data lake, you had a HD Insight as a separate store, but they right. moved it under the data lake umbrella because they want Azure Data Lake to be the place for big data on, on Azure. Moreover, if you want to store your data for big data in Azure, they just say store it in, in the store. We've optimized it for analytics. It works with all open source technologies. This is the place to be. So if you're already using HD Insight, you're going to end up in a data lake eventually. Yes, and that's what they advise. Put all your nice. data in, in data lake, move it from blob storage or wherever you're storing it right now and move it over there. And, and HD Insight is really the Hadoop approach to all this. So if you already know your way around Hadoop, you can use the Azure Data Lakes. You don't need use SQL or yes. R or any of those things. Just That's go ahead and stay you, with Hadoop. You just spin up a managed cluster by Microsoft, select the technology you want and which operating system, because since recently you can also use Linux as an operation system and they provision the machines for you. Nice. Now, I know they say, don't worry about the schema, just throw it in there and we can, you know, aggregate the whole thing. Don't worry about it. But are there any tips that you can uh, give us uh, in terms of structures that perform better than other structures or or that make it make queries perform more performant or that kind of thing? Avoid XML. Ah, <laughs> obvious one. Yeah. Go for CSV files. Okay. You saying common delimited text is still your friend? Yeah, comma separated because, values. Yeah, because yeah. when you run these jobs, the service will separate each file into several units of works, um, so that multiple nodes can read one file. But if you're doing that for XML, it breaks your structure and it breaks mm. the the reading of your XML. Yeah. And you don't really want that. For example, in the Stack Exchange scenario, I ran twin 20 nodes, only 20 nodes on a file, and my uh, custom extractor failed because it broke my structure and the XML reader, reader broke. So what about JSON data? Uh, I don't know about JSON data, but as it has also some structure, I suggest it will also break but an option for that is create your own extractor hmm. where you have the ability to to say mark each file separately so each file will be handled by one node only so you can assume that you have the structure you are depending on which has an impact on your performance because you're only processing these big files with one node instead of x nodes Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I'm impressed. This this seems like they've thought through the broader problem of large-scale data storage. And we haven't touched on machine learning, but I guess that's a whole other show, really, yeah. is automating how you do these analytics. Yeah, indeed. And also machine learning can be included in Azure Data Factory right. once again. And mm. all these all these services are part of the... Cortana Analytics Suites. Uh, now there's a loaded word, if I ever heard one. Cortana. <laughs> yep. You know, the problem with that word is that it's a product, and then it's also sort of a blanket uh, term that they use at Microsoft for everything that's new. Oh, is Cortana first, the new ActiveX? Is that what you're saying? Well, actually, it was first a game character, and right. then yeah. they moved it to everywhere. Yeah, yeah. If you if you search on the word Cortana, you see a blue girl <laughs> wearing very little. Yeah, that's correct. Well, she's drawn, so there is that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if it was such a good idea to reuse that name that way, but uh, there's, I mean, looking at the Cortana Analytics Suite site, there's a lot of stuff here. Like yeah. they they're pouring a lot of energy into. I guess the Cortana part is really the the presentation. Yeah. Yeah. But th- they're trying to, and I think they're really achieving end to this. But they're trying to do big data and analytics really easy and. Mm. I really love the analytics service for that. Just write a few lines, submit, and you're done. Yeah. Anytime I can write a few lines, submit, and I'm done. That's yeah, a good day. <laughs> but we've, I mean, we played the natural user interface game with these kinds of tools before. I mean, I'm thinking back to like, what was it? SQL Server. 2008. Oh, yeah. That's right. Had a natural user interface that nobody used. Heck, there was a like. DOS database called QA. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. That had a natural <laughs> language parser. You know, how many widgets it size four in, in inventory? Right. You know? Yeah. Maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe. Well, you know, it, it means educating users. That's what it comes down to. And who's got time for that? Tom, thanks so much for spending an hour with us. It's been great. Thank you for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.